Amen. Powerful worship today. Thank you, worship team. Well, this morning, we are starting a new series. We get to unfold a new book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians, and I am really excited about getting into another book series. You could almost say 1 Corinthians is my favorite book. It would be a little weird to say that. It's not quite my favorite book, but you're going to see that this book is powerful and it's so engaging because there are some very strong parallels between the church at Corinth and the modern-day American church. But I think the thing that resonates with me the most about 1 Corinthians is the life transformation that you see in these people. These people go from the darkest of the dark. They believe in Jesus Christ, and they are called the Church of God. We actually start, we're going to start this whole thing not in 1 Corinthians, believe it or not. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 18, um, this church, there's a lot that has been said about the church of Corinth. I want to give you, since we're going to be here for a few weeks, going through this book, looking at Paul's relationship with the church of Corinth, I want you to see where this all started from. Of course, there's messiness that is involved with Corinth. When you hear that, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people who are the self-righteous Christian types, the types that love to point their fingers at, a, at somebody and, and feel good about themselves because they see all the, all the messiness involved with that other person, there's plenty to look at here with the church of Corinth and say, wow, what is their problem? Just a lot of, a lot of nonsense. I mean, you do have, I'm not going to get into this too deep yet. We're not going to, we're going to touch on it as we go along. But the church at Corinth didn't want to provide for Paul. The church at Corinth had disunity. The church at Corinth didn't take their responsibility and shepherd one another and hold each other accountable. You had this really weird situation where there was a guy who ended up sleeping with his his uh, stepmother, uh, his widowed stepmother, just we'll move on quickly from that. You have Christians in the church at Corinth who were suing one another in the eye of the public. Just a lot of like, what on earth are they thinking here in the church at Corinth? So it does get a bad rap. But the powerful thing, as I said about Corinth, is the answer to all of their problems is their identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer to every one of their issues, and this is where it's going to be personal for you and for me. Because we're going to see in every chapter as we go along that you need to live in the reality of who you are. That's what Paul is telling the church at Corinth. But you're probably there in Acts 18. Acts 18, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And I thought this would be better to read it from the Bible than for me just to give you a summary of what happened and how Paul started this church on his second missionary journey. So look at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he was a tent maker, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. 
Crispus, a ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, and together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So you see here the whole inception of the church of Corinth. And there's a couple reasons. You may wonder, well, well, why did Paul have to have this vision from the Lord that he needed to stay there? I think the first answer to that question is pretty obvious. We saw this in the text already. The Jews hated him, and they reviled him. This is what Paul did when he went into a new city. He would go to the synagogue, the Jewish, Jewish place of worship, and he would reason. He would tell them who Jesus Christ was. And he had a pretty ugly conversation from the looks of it with the Jews. They didn't like his message. They didn't like this whole, this whole story that Jesus rose from the dead and that he was now the Messiah and that he rose again. They, they weren't having any of that. And Paul just washed his hands of the whole set thing and said, forget you, uh, I'm going to move on to the, to the Gentiles now. I'm going to now start talking to these pagan Greek people in the city of Corinth. The second reason I think that it's not explicitly mentioned in this text, but I think the second reason that Paul had this vision to stay in Corinth and to hunker down and to pitch his tent and start making more tents there in Corinth was the atmosphere of Corinth. Corinth was 40 miles west of Athens, okay? And unlike Athens, which is known for its culture and its art, unlike Sparta, which is known for its military prowess, Corinth was a business town, it was a port city. It was the center of all this trade. You had a lot of sailors coming through. You had all these businessmen coming through without their families. And if you stop and think about what that was like in this pagan, hedonistic Greek culture, it looked a lot like Las Vegas, okay? It was, it was pretty morally decadent. As a matter of fact, a slang term for a Corinthian woman was a prostitute. This was a culture that just centered around immorality, very wicked pagan society. But I love what, what God says to Paul in this vision. And he says, there are many people in this city who are my people. Isn't that awesome? So stay right here, Paul. We're going to start a church right here. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, we're going to fast forward a few years. This church has started. And this church is actually has, like I mentioned previously, a few issues. The first six chapters, Paul actually addresses these fatal flaws that the Corinthian church has. And then in chapters 7 through 16, he starts addressing all the inquiries that the Corinthian church had, because they had a lot of questions. And some of these were really good questions. As we go through this book, we're going to see all of that. But we're always going to see, every single time, Paul points back to, consider your calling, live in the reality of who you are. Not to get too fast forward, but verse 30. Verse 30 in chapter 1 is the key verse of this entire book. Okay, verse 30 it says, And because of him, that's God, you were in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Every single time the Corinthians have an issue, and believe me, there's a lot of them, a lot of these issues that we also struggle with, every time it goes back to consider your calling, live in the reality of who you are. This is your identity in Jesus Christ. So with all that being said, let's look at the first three verses of 1 Corinthians. 
These are messy people. These are people that have a lot of problems, but this is what Paul says to them. Verse, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and of our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you, and peace from God the Father. Live in the reality of who you are. Don't live trying to be someone that somebody else tells you you need to be. Don't live trying to be this perfect specimen, this perfect idea of what you want to be and what you want to achieve and you're not measuring up. No, live in the reality of who you are. This is what goes, this is ringing true for the Corinthians, and it rings true for you as well. And I have to ask you this question, because we're going to continually go back to this. Where is your identity? Is your identity in someone else's image of you? Is your identity found in your job? Is it found in what your hobby is? Is your identity found in just your own dream? Is your identity truly reality what God has created you to be. Paul addresses these flawed followers as the church of God. Everyone who is called about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the church of God. And right here is where we're getting the name for this entire series. The series is called Called Out, all right? And I think you can put two and two together and you can get the double meaning of that. First of all, Paul calls out a lot of their problems. He, he's going to do some of that. But more importantly is the word ekklesia, which is the Greek word for church. And we know that the Greek word for church is a group of a body of people who are gathering to worship. It's a called out gathering. But the word ekklesia is actually a compound word. Okay, It's two Greek words that are turned into one. Ek means out of, klesia is to call. So the literal definition of church, of ecclesia, is a called-out body of people. And that's the Corinthian church. They were in this pagan society. They were in a rough town. They had some rough pasts. They had some, really, some scars in their backgrounds, these Christians in Corinth. But they were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are the same way. Doesn't matter that this is this is written to the church at Corinth. This is also to Vertical Church Spartanburg because we're all in the same exact place. And today, I want you to consider your calling, verse twenty-six. And the way we're going to do that is by looking at the three points Paul makes about living in the reality of who you really are. The very first point is number one: thank God for His grace. The way you can truly find your real identity in Jesus Christ is by remembering that it's all because of God's grace. Look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. 
guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5 there says that you were enriched in all speech. You have the ability, right now, your identity in Jesus Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have the ability to speak and to communicate in a way that you could never speak and communicate before. You can do it with grace, with patience, with truth, because of the Holy Spirit that is living inside of you. You've been enriched in that. You've been enriched in all wisdom. You're no longer living in darkness, searching and pursuing happiness like the rest of the world. You actually have the ability to know truth and to see truth and to communicate truth. The testimony of Christ is confirmed among you. What is that? That's your life radically changed by the goodness of God. You don't live for the same passions and the same pursuits as you did before you knew Christ. You were made new. You were made whole. And now God chooses to use you to share his love and his truth with the lost world. Nothing about you is missing. You have, you have been gifted in every way. You have been perfectly gifted. This doesn't mean that you're God's gift to everything. You don't have everything you need, but you have a unique story, a unique background, and everything God ever meant for you to do, he has gifted to you. He has, he has given you that ability to do that. And then he sustains us, verse 8. God is faithful. As much as you fail, he still loves you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he will carry you through with the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about, think about this. What does a parent do for their child? All right? My boys, take them to school. I try to enrich them, enrich them in communication. Beckham's learning how to read right now. So we're like driving to school and we're sounding out like billboard signs. C-A-R. Car. Yes, yes. He's, he's learning all this stuff. We're teaching him how to communicate. Uh, he still says McDonald's, and I don't want to correct him on that one. Um, but, it's, but it's fun to, to teach your kids how to communicate. We're enriching them in all wisdom. I mean, my boys are really curious, so we're always using, we're using Google images to just teach them the whole world. Like, oh, Dad, what is the difference between an, a, an Athens soldier and a Spartan soldier? Oh, well, let me show you on Google. And we, like, looked up the differences. It's fun to teach your kids things and enrich them in knowledge. It's fun to give gifts to them, right? Don't we, as parents, love giving gifts to our children? This is where this parent analogy is going to fall short, though, because I can't sustain my children in everything. I can't carry them through life and give them every single thing they need. They're going to have to start making their own decisions someday as well. But do you see how just like God, our Heavenly Father, enriches us and sustains us, that's what we try to do with our own children? And what happens when your kid takes everything that you do for them and they just, like, forget it. That's what kids do, right? They just, like, take it for granted. I want this, Dad. I want three desserts today. <laughs> no, I can't give you three desserts. <laughs> you shouldn't have even had one dessert. I have to look out for you. This is what God, our Heavenly Father, does for us. He is a giver of good gifts. He gives us things that we don't deserve. He gives us grace. And if we look at our Heavenly Father and we just take it for granted, we move on with our own merry way, we're being that same spoiled brat child who cries and whines when they don't get their way. And it's no way to live. Because in the end, 
Uncontentment just brings misery, right? I mean, that's not very novel, is it? I mean, you could hear that on a night, sh- night talk show. I mean, everyone knows that discontentment brings unhappiness. And the solution to all that is to think about God, our Heavenly Father, and what He has graciously given us. Thank God for His grace. The second, the second point that I want you to see here goes right along with this. It goes right along with living in the reality of who you are. And number two, it's to agree to be of the same mind. This is the second point that he addresses. And really, this is the first issue that Paul just jumps on. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Don't you just love Paul getting fired up here? I mean, he's referring to himself in the third person. Like, he's, he's just like, stop this. This is off. Guys, forget this. Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say to you that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, in not words with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He sees these problems. Chloe, let him know about it. Don't you just love that good Greek name, Chloe? Thank you, Chloe. She's like, oh, people are fighting. There's some bickering among us. Let Paul know about it, and Paul's going to set the record straight. Hey, agree in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an enemy out there who doesn't want us to live for God. We are in a battle out there. There's people lost and dying and going to hell, and here Christians are fighting amongst themselves. Don't do that. You have so many more important things to do than to get bogged down and to get, to get tied up in that trap. You have a real fight, and that's for the gospel, verse 17. Now, this is a total side note, but when you see here verse 16 where Paul basically corrects himself. I did not baptize, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Like, I think this is really interesting because I heard about this back when I was in systematic theology. It was in my systematic theology class. And it was, this is a, this is a complete little side note trail here. Uh, but really quick, we were talking about the authority of God's word, the infallibility of scripture, the reliability of scripture, and how holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21 talking about how we got the Bible, how those men wrote Scripture. And you see that the Holy Spirit is the one moving inside of man so that they can record something without error. And if you look closely between the lines here, Paul basically like gave us some untruth. He's all fired up, remember? I didn't baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. If they, it just ends at that period, that's technically like an incorrect statement, and there's like falsehood in the Bible, but you can see the Holy Spirit churning those wheels. Oh, yeah, I remember. I also baptized the household of Stephanus. And if there was anybody else, I don't remember right now. And he just goes on, right? You see how the Holy Spirit corrected that error in, in Scripture? I love that. But now back to the main point. 
Paul's saying, don't get bogged down. Don't fight with each other. Agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Are we going to have differences of opinion? For sure. And one of the things I love about this church is we have people that look at things differently and they have differences of opinion, but we still all come together and we worship God. We don't let our differences, because we for sure don't want a cookie-cutter church, we don't let our differences hold us back from the mission that God has given us. Paul is not against Apollos. You can, if, you, if you look closely, you can kind of see what the issues are that are dividing this church. They're talking about who baptized who. Well, I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized by Paul. Like, just stop it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who your guy is. It doesn't matter what your pet theological issue is. None of that matters. What matters is verse 17, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We already read in Acts 18 that Apollos was a powerful orator. He was a great preacher. He had that eloquent ability to communicate. So, I mean, you can see as Paul mentions this, Paul's not the most eloquent guy. But that doesn't bother him that Apollos is like a better preacher than Paul. It doesn't bother him. He, at the end of the day, he says it doesn't matter because we're here for Jesus Christ. This is the church of God at Corinth. This isn't his church or my church or anybody's church. This is Jesus Christ's church. May it be the same for us at Vertical Church. I've actually, I've actually just in this last couple, these last couple weeks unfollowed a few people on Facebook and Twitter just because pastors feel like they need to take a public stand and say things that are attacking other Christians that don't even need to be said. We don't have time for that. Don't worry about what, uh, what someone else is thinking or saying. Worry about your relationship with God and what God wants to do through you. That's what Paul is saying when he says, agree in the Lord. Agree to be in the same mind. We have the same mission. We're called to the same purpose. We're the same church. So let's be one. Don't let the differences of opinion cause divisions. Don't be divided. Live for Jesus. The third way that you can consider your calling and live in the reality of who you are, the reality of who Jesus Christ has made you, it plays right into this. And actually, it's the solution to living together in unity. And this is, verse, this is point three. Boast in Jesus Christ. Boast in Jesus Christ. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, de the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through the wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Corinthians and Spartanburg, South Carolinians, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, 
Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, the crucifixion. Even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let no one boast. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Live in the reality of who you are. Consider your calling. Who did Jesus make you to be? He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and that is something that you can boast in. It's not what you've done. It's his grace towards you. In verse 18, we see that there's really only two types of people. I know a lot of people think there's nine types of people. And I know there's a million different types of people out there. But really, at the end of the day, there's only two people. There's those who are perishing. And there's those who are being saved by the power of the cross. You're either saved or lost. And that's a, that's a very sobering reality. You're either living for Jesus or you're living for yourself. What matters is verse 24. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, this is foolish this doesn't, it's a stumbling block to the Jews. I mean, the Jews believed if you were crucified, that you were cursed. They just really had a hard time getting over that. To the Greeks, they're always searching for wisdom. I mean, that was their thing, right? They just, let's go to Mars Hill and just let, let's debate. That's what they love to do. They don't, we, don't really, we don't really want to find an answer. We just want to talk about this forever and ever and ever and ever. It's all about the journey, man. Just all about the journey. Figure it out eventually, Maybe. The cross that God would send his son, Jesus, into this hopeless, dark, nasty, sin-cursed world, and that God would humble himself to the point of death? That's a, that, does, that doesn't even make sense, right? No human would have ever made that up. In man's wisdom, that's foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's where we find our identity. That is true that for the true followers of Jesus. That's the reality of who you are. You were saved by the grace of God to live for the glory of God. And that's what we're here to do today, to worship him for that. Don't boast in yourself. When you boast in yourself, it gets you away from your true calling. You are the church of God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, later on, later on in this book, Paul says that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. God is just. So glorify him by showing his glory, showing justice with your life. God is forgiving. So forgive others and reflect the goodness of God in that way. God is a creator, the best creator. So create beauty. Be an artist. Make the use of the gifts that God has given you. Every person in this room has a unique skill set 
I've already referred to this. You all have talent and abilities that the person next to you doesn't have. God has, again, from the beginning of this book, he has gifted you perfectly the way he wants you to be. You have every potential inside of you that you ever need. He's given us perspective. He's given us friends and places in our lives that we go. He has shaped you to be on mission for him, to share his glory and his love in this world. But the temptation that we all face is to look at what we're good at and to take it upon ourselves and to start feeling really good about that. To forget that he is the giver, that he's the one who sustains you, that he is the one who has gifted you in that way. And I know there's people in this room God has gifted some of you with the ability to make money, with the the ability to maybe play sports really, really well. Maybe God has gifted you with a brilliant mind. There's people who are successful here. They're physically impressive here. You You can be a businessman or a businesswoman. You can turn heads. You're talented. I get that. See a lot of really good looking people out here. But you can't forget that is all a gift from our Heavenly Father. That's from Him. So don't boast in yourself. Boast in him. Don't let what you are good at go to your head. I have seen this happen to people, and I'm not just talking about famous people. I'm talking about solid people who love Jesus and they're talented. And before you know it, time goes on. And it's really a slow fade. It's not a thing that happens overnight. It's not a blindingly fast thing. It's a blindingly slow thing because it morphs in time. They forget to boast in Christ. They forget who gave them the ability. And then they stop listening to other people when other people are giving them feedback and trying to challenge them. Maybe it's a leader and he, he, he ignores what everybody else is saying. He just runs over people to get things done. Maybe it's, a, it's a, a guy and his marriage is struggling, but he's too ashamed or too embarrassed to go to anyone in his life group or talk to his pastor about it because he just doesn't want to be seen as weak. So we push away the problems that we just focus on what we have going for us. And before we know it, we forget that God is the one who's done it for you. God is the one who has gifted you in that way so that you could be a light for him in this dark world. And as what happens is that pride starts breaking down our relationships and it starts alienating us from the path that God has for us. These are all byproducts of pride and they come from someone who has lost sight of their true calling. They're living in the reality of what they want to be and they're only focused on their gifts and they're forgetting the source, the giver of those gifts. When we realize that we're a messenger and that we're on a mission, we have humble gratitude. We work together in unity and we give glory back to God. I saw an amazing example of this just a week and a half ago. New Spring Church is a church here in Spartanburg and I've gotten to know a lot of their pastors and they told, I mentioned this a while back, a couple months ago, they said, hey, we're going to have an end-of-the-year overflow offering, and we want to give your church an offering. They're doing something internationally, they're doing something nationally here, and then they're going to do something locally. 
And their local outreach was to take this offering up, and they wanted to give us an offering. Remember how cool it was? We had our first series in the book of Philippians, and we called the series Overflow. We had an overflow offering for another church, and then they said, hey, we're going to give you an overflow offering. And I talked about how that's so cool that God does that. When we're trying to be giving, he's going to give back to us. The same principle in your lives is happening as our church. Well, I had lunch with him, and he gave me a check, $25,000, okay? Their church gave our church that gift. That's a church that says, you know what, we don't care about competing. We don't care about the fact that we're the coolest church on the block, whatever, whatever. None of that. It's about, hey, you go out there and make disciples for Jesus Christ. Do it for him. We're focused on him. It's not about us. Not about our gifts. It's about what we can do for Jesus. Let's boast in Jesus. So praise God for that gift. They're illustrating this perfectly. Um, And you see that when you make your mission about God and his glory, and not just your agenda, you radiate the spirit of generosity. You foster an atmosphere of mutual support and partnership. And it all goes back to it's not my money. It's God's. It's not my talent. It's not my ability. It's his. And I have an amazing purpose that's bigger than myself that I'm going to use it for. So what are you good at? What has God gifted you at? And what are you doing with it? And who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it for him? Live in the reality of who you are in Jesus Christ. The reality is Jesus Christ came into this world to die for you, to set you free, and to make you his own child. That's why we're here today. We were all sinners. And if you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you were called out of that endless cycle of pursuing happiness and never really quite getting there and you live for for the mission and the glory of God the unexplainable joyous peaceful mission for the glory of God throughout this series and throughout this entire book you are to consider your calling to live in the reality of who you are the Corinthians the Corinthians are called out you if you know Jesus, are called out. Maybe your reality is you don't know God. Maybe you've never confessed your sin and repented and by faith turned to Jesus Christ. Well, if that's you, live in the reality of who you are and you can change that today. Quit pretending to be a Christian when it's convenient, right? That's not helping anybody. It's not helping you, certainly. Don't fake it. But if you know Christ, lean into him in the good times and in the bad times. Quit focusing on your problems and focus on who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Find your identity in who Jesus Christ says you are. Well, let's stay in church. I wonder if we could do some audience participation before we sing. We're going to sing a song called Yes, I Will. That encapsulates a lot of, I think, what David said this morning. So I wonder if we can uh, 
Maybe I can ask you some questions and you can say back to me together with unity. Yes, I will. And then we'll sing this together. So first, will you embrace the love of God shared with you through Jesus? Yes, I will. Will you seek unity by embracing the mind of Christ? Yes, I will. Will you, as the church, embrace this mission of taking the grace of God to this world? Yes, I will. Lastly, will you choose the identity of Christ before self? Will you say yes to Christ and no to self? All right, let's sing this song together. As we sing this, let's, that's what unity is, right? Us together saying the same things about, and it's not saying the same things, it's saying what God has already said, right? So let's sing that, let's practice that. Let's seek that unity. Let's seek that identity that he's given to us that David so eloquently preached about today. And, uh, and then implement that in our lives if we embrace this mission.